0: The NBA playoff action is non-stop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can turn a small bet into a big payday. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom. You have a shot for an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code FORGOTTENSEASONS, bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code Seasons only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Welcome back to another episode of Forgotten Seasons. Today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. If you were following last week, you might have saw that we launched a Next 75 project. Everybody that's involved at Showtime Basketball just feels like there's so many players that didn't make the NBA 75 list that deserve the same shine and recognition. And I think that in general, real basketball fans feel that same way. A lot of the players that didn't make the 75 list are the players that are really the backbone of forgotten seasons. This week we had the great Penny Hardaway join Mattenstack Stack to run through the 20 players from the 90s that were selected to the next 75 list. I think without any surprise, Penny is one of those players. I mean, when you look at his run in Orlando, what he was able to do, revolutionized the point guard position, led the magic along with Shaq to the finals in his second year, past MJ's Bulls in the East. Outside of the 75 list, they also talked about 90s hoops in general, talked about Penny's signature shoe line. Anytime when you can pick the brain of Penny Hardaway, I think you want to listen. So I'm going to say peace and let you guys listen to Matt and Stack chop it up with Penny on the 1990s Next 75. We did the 1980s with John Sally last week. You can check that out on the Showtime Basketball YouTube page. It is in last week's episode of What's Burning. Hope you guys enjoy. Make sure to leave some feedback on the Instagram, how you feel about this Next 75 project. I've had a blast being a part of it, and I hope you guys like it. So let's get into this now. Penny Hardaway, Next 75 talk begins right now.
1: Welcome back to What's Burning, Next 75 list. Man, today I'm excited about this because we grew up watching this era. We're going to talk about 90s basketball. It was a lot different back then, and one of the best players to ever do it in that era uh none other than our brother, Penny Hardaway. Penny, welcome back to the show, man.
2: Man, yeah. Thanks for having me back, man.
1: The Looking ageless one. one. Yes, yeah, <laughs> i yeah, they given you gray hairs out there yet they giving you gray hairs out there yet yeah. Memphis?
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm just hiding them right
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Penny, what we're doing here is we're doing the next 75 list. Um, guys that missed the cut for whatever reason, uh, but still were tremendous players in the league. When you first saw the 75 list, obviously respect to everyone who made it. Um, anytime you mm-hmm. try to make a list like this uh, in a league that's been so amazing, there's going to be controversial. Uh, what were your thoughts when you first saw the, the 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 75 list?
2: Honestly, I was like, I should be on that list. In my mind, I'm like, hey, of course, I should be on that list. It, it's just, it's just initially what you say when you're a baller and you're like, hey, I should be on that list. I understand the injuries derail me. I'm not in the Hall mm-hmm. of Fame, but at the end of the day, my numbers speak for themselves in my first six Ooh. seven years. So at the end of the day, I I said that. But then I also respect everybody on that list. You know, just sitting right. there watching those guys, man, it's just an amazement because I'm a huge basketball historian. I know everyone that played that was on that 75. I watched some type of film or a clip or something on them from their heyday, and uh had nothing but love and respect for every guy. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I I I'll be the one to say it. If if they if they had the top 75. And they, and they all walked on the street on trash day. A lot of them would jump in the trash truck. I just got to say it. <laughs> a, lot of them a, a lot of them would jump in the back and keep on moving because, I, hey, I said a lot of them
1: wasn't good to me. Well, I just think, <laughs> I, I think, obviously, you know, we have respect for everyone, but I think we need to, you know, decide, you know, who was – you know, people who were kind of pioneers in the space and helped develop, you know, the, the NBA to what it is today because they also, they definitely deserve their respect, but that doesn't necessarily make them a top 75 type players because there's players back, back in the day that, you know, like you said, we say this with all due respect, the game is just so different from it was back then. Like they would get run off the court these days. You know, some guys dribbling with one hand and these set shots and, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's just a, the game is so far past what it started as. And obviously you want to pay homage to those type of pioneers, but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily make them a top 75 to ever play this game. So that was kind of my you know, be trying to keep it as respectful as possible because, you know, you make the list, you make the list. But there was a lot of snubs that, that, that can really obviously play in and, and, and shit. You come to mind as definitely one of the first people who got snubbed out of that top 75 list.
3: Penny Hardaway, Vince Carter is not on the
1: list. Burn it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know uh, obviously the, the, the job keeps you busy. Are you able to keep up with the playoffs and what's going on in the league right now?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely keeping up with the playoffs right now. It's a lot going on, uh, a lot of good basketball being played, and uh, I'm definitely hyped watching this, uh, these series that have, been, uh, that have been going on.
3: Your boy J.Kid, you was a backcourt mate with him. Uh, y'all led the Mavs to the ass-whipping against the Suns. Kid just led the Mavs, excuse me, to the ass-whipping against the Suns, but y'all was uh, played together in Phoenix. He was your backcourt mate for a few years. What do you think he's telling Luca for Luca to go out there and do what he's doing right now?
2: He probably just telling Luca, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're dominating the game on all levels. Uh, you know, J.K. Kidd was an all-around player. He's a triple-double guy. So, you know, he's basically telling Luca, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep getting guys involved when you have to get involved. Take over the game when you have to take over. Uh, keep competing at the highest level. It gets harder on every level. Just keep that in mind. And always ask questions. If you have any questions, man, ask me. I've been there.
3: That's what he's saying to Luca. Mm-hmm. You surprised that he's becoming a great coach?
2: No. I'm not surprised that J.K. is becoming a great coach because he's such a fierce competitor, man. That dude was just a silent assassin, and he, believe me, he remembers being traded from Phoenix. It was like a chip on his shoulders, mm-hmm. even though he still loves right. the organization. You know how we do. Y'all yeah, traded I mean. me back a long time ago. I haven't forgotten that, and I want to beat y'all's ass. So mm-hmm. he was on that this this, this series, I guarantee you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the next 75 talk, paint a picture of what the league was like in 93. Um, Outside of obviously MJ and Scotty, Uh, who were some of the tougher teams and players when you first uh, really started getting your footing in the league?
2: Uh, West Coast, it was Seattle with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp and those guys. Uh, Golden State, when they had uh, uh, Tim, Mitch, and Chris, you know, the TMC.
1: Run TMC. Uh, Then they
2: got Sprewell and Chris Webber when I came in. So Utah, obviously, with Carmelo Malone and, uh, and John Stockton, those were the tougher teams in the league for sure.
1: The league is so young these days. Um, it continues to get younger and younger. What was it like for you as a 20, 20 21 year old early in the 90s off the court? What was that life like?
2: You know, me, I was a homebody, bro, so I didn't really go a lot of places, so it was easy for me to kind of – now, if I would have had social media, there's no telling where I would have been, bro. But, <laughs> but back in the right. 90s, <laughs> back right. in the 90s, everything was chill, man. You just kind of
3: right.
2: you know, went to eat, went to the movies, back home. That's a homebody. It wasn't really much to do. Especially in Orlando. Orlando was a family town. Right. Family family. I was blessed to go to the magic as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's de- definitely a family town. I remember my little brief stint out there. It was it was nothing but family. But yeah, social media is a cheat code these days, boy. These guys don't know how good they got it. <laughs> right. I'm telling you. All right, man. Well, let's get started right now. Uh, someone who I firmly believe you two, you and, and Grant Hill are, are people that I feel like obviously got robbed of longevity and the ability mm-hmm. to be, I, I think both you guys would have been two of the greatest players to ever live if injuries didn't derail your path. But let's first talk about Grant Hill. Uh, he had a three-year peak where he was at 21, 9, and 7. Um, mm. Talk <laughs> to us about G Hill and how tough he was when he was rolling.
2: G Hill, Monster. Like you said, 21 9 average, he's a guy that at his height and his size, man, was a matchup problem every single night. And the one thing I respect about G is he had to play against his matchup every night. We had to earn our That's points right. because you didn't play against the five men. You know, it wasn't switching everything. It was trapping right. you. It was a hard show and get back. You played your matchup. So whatever you got back then, you earned that shit. I ain't saying that you ain't earning it now, but you played your matchup. If you played the Bulls, you played MJ and Scotty the whole night. They played you, you right. played them. That's you know, you dumb. played Sacramento, you played Mitch Richmond, he played you. You played Indiana, you played Reggie Miller. You didn't have a five-man right. playing you. So, Chee Hill, in that era, man, playing against all those threes, was dominant, bro, and he was he was smooth doing it.
1: Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Star, All-NBA five times, Rookie of the Year, 94, 95. So, he's someone you would definitely put on that next 75 list?
2: Yeah, for sure, easily. You know, he's a guy that definitely, um, arguably, if you take his top five years— and compared to anybody that's in the Hall of Fame that's like above right. him or in the top 75, I think it's top five years, mm-hmm. you know, right like there. no other. Like they're, they're second to none. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're right there.
3: Facts. Next up, we got Glenn Rice. Three-year peak, 24 points per game, 44% from the three, 15-year pro. He was a killer in Miami and Charlotte. Started every game in Lakers 2000 title run. 18K career points. Talk to me about Glenn Rice.
2: Man, just a dog. A guy that just, he was a shooter, but he was tough. You know, most shooters, they're just not going to grind it. G was tough. He was going to play D. He was going to try to fight. He was going to uh, knock down <laughs> shots. And then when they talk about shooters, man, I can't believe you can't have Glenn Rice in there. Glenn Rice is one of the best shooters I've ever seen, man. That dude could get it done. Definitely, like, one of the best shooters I've seen.
3: Three-time All-Star 2000 NBA champ, two-time All-NBA, 1989-90 All-Rookie, 1996-97 All-Star MVP.
2: Yeah, I was I was part of that also. MVP, G should be giving me something by now, man. He ain't never given me nothing for that, man. I was giving, I was giving him all them dimes, uh, Stack. He was feeding him. Was feeding I was him, feeding him, man. man. Yeah. And I had MJ on my team. So I said, you know, MJ, I looked at MJ. I said, man, G G got it going, man. We got to roll with him. And G got hot. Mm. Got the MVP.
1: Next up, Alonzo Mornings Zo, 15-year pro at his – Peak three-year run. He was 20 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks. 99 and 2000 Defensive Player of the Year. Average at least 19 and 9 for eight seasons. Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Star, block champ. 2006 NBA champ, two-time All-NBA. The accolades continue. Two-time All-Defense, two-time Defense Player of the Year. Uh, talk to us about Zowin because he played in an era where there was real, real big that he saw every single night.
2: And you said those numbers, 19 and and. I think 19-9 or something like that for like nine years in a row or whatever. Come on, bro. Playing against Dream, playing against Pat, playing against the Admiral, playing against those matchups, Yeah. Shaq, Sabonis, all these bigs around the league back then when bigs were the shit, when bigs were like it in the league. And to be able to do that, bro, he was a warrior. He was a warrior, man. That dude just, man, played injured, played through everything and competed his butt off every single night. Mm -hmm. Definitely with somebody that should have been worthy of a top 75. Yeah. And it's up not up. like I'm just kissing everybody's ass from my era, but when you're seeing these dudes have to go out there and get it out of the mud, nothing yeah. was given to them at all.
3: Absolutely. Not in that era. Not in that era. Dikembe Matumbo, three-year peak, Big 12 deep. points per game, 12 rebounds per game, four blocks per game. One of only two players to win d Player of the Year four times, him and Ben Wallace. Made an all-star game with three different teams, Atlanta, Denver, and Philly, Hall of Fame, of course, eight-time All-Star, three-time block champ, 1991-92, all rookie team, four-time defensive player of the year, six-time all defense, three-time all NBA.
2: The Kimbe is one of the very few guys, you can only have a handful of guys that could could, could beat you without scoring. He mm. can control the whole game with just protecting the rim and rebounding. And that's priceless, man. You know, you put him in the same boat with a Dennis Rodman. He put him in that, in that same area like with, with Ben Ben Wallace. Mm-hmm. This guy just dominated, man. He, was not, he, he took pride in what he did. He didn't care if he scored a point as long as he got five, six blocks, 15, yeah. 16, 17 rebounds. And he was going to bring that every night. That's something that he was going to bring to the table every single night.
1: That's a fun kind. Of, I mean, as a guard, that, that's the kind of big you would love, right? You know what I mean? He's gonna Hell hold yeah. down the defense and I still get to shoot up all the shots. I mean, as a guard, I'm sure people <laughs> love playing with the Bay All he cared about with them blocks and rebounds, that's a beautiful thing for guards. Yeah, I don't Hell see yeah. I, I don't see how Rodman making and he don't
3: make it, bro. I really don't. That's a, that was a good comparison. I think Rodman
2: is unbelievable. And man, was was phenomenal at what he did. Didn't have to score, defended and dominated. I think I think Deke is on that. On that level, man, when it comes to defense
1: Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. rebounds. Definitely. Next up, someone I really respected and loved coming up, uh, Rod Strickland. His three-year peak was 17, 10, and 5. He averaged at least seven assists for 10 straight years. 17-year pro, number 13 all-time on the assist list. 97, 98 NBA All-Star, 88, 89 All-Rookie Team. Talk to us about how cold Rod Strickland was, and that was a great comparison. You know, godfather to Kyrie, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, but just a killer back in this day.
2: Ridiculous, man. Just so smooth. Had all the different finishes. He was Kyrie back in the day for sure. Had the mm. nastiest Nasty nastiest hezzy. He wasn't gonna even shoot it, but he made you believe that shit that he was gonna <laughs> right. shoot it. That's how nice he was. He'd hezy right. your ass and be by you, and he'd look back like, yeah, <laughs> nigga, you know what it is, all game. This is it, all game. <laughs> he was nasty, dog. Yeah. He was. He was. He was like really. He was ahead of his time because he was this era type of guard. Like He was mm. doing his thing back then, but he was right. nasty, nasty. Big guard. Man could just come to the game nonchalant and just, just give you buckets and dimes the whole game. Crafty, very hey, how, crafty.
1: How tall was he? He's like 6'3", 6'4", or smaller than that?
2: No, about 6'4".
1: Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Next up, Tim Hardaway, three-year
3: peak, 22 points per game. Mr. Texas two-step, 10 assists per game, killed for an entire decade with run TMC, of course, in the 90s and with the Heat, Hall of Fame, five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, 1989-90 All-Rookie team. The Mr. Texas two-step, Tim Hardaway. I'm
2: going to tell you something about that cat. He had fear in the league when he was going through a stretch. Watching him play, this dude had fear in his prime. He had fear in the league. Mm. That crossover was what it was. It was deadly. It was nasty. It it couldn't be stopped. And sometimes he just do it just to be doing it. (laughs) <laughs> just to let you know, I'm about he to can. give it to you again. You know what I mean? All that right. he could. Honestly, right. he, had, he was one of the few guards to me that put fear in the league. When you knew he was coming to town, you had to get your sleep. Because mm. he was that Chicago toughness. He was relentless. He wanted to dog you, and he wanted to embarrass you. He had that mentality.
1: Mm. Young Timmy. One of the better European players uh, to, to, to grace the NBA stage, Drazen Petrovic, uh, his two-year peak. 21 points a game, 45% from the three-point line back when they wasn't really shooting threes like that. Made All-NBA in 93. Unfortunately, passed away the uh, following summer. Hall of Famer. Talk to us what kind of game that Drozden had when he came to the league.
2: Major. Major game. He he, he could shoot threes. He could get by you. He was tough. He took tough shots, made tough shots. It was all about his energy, though. He was high energy for the entire game. He didn't let up one time. He was in kill mode. The entire time, every time he got the ball, he was ready to attack. He could shoot it, he could finish, he could do it all, man. He was, he was very nice, very nice player.
3: Next up, we got Money Mitch Richmond.
2: West Coast Jordan.
3: Yeah, West Coast Jordan, we were just talking about him. Three-year peak, 24 points per game, four assists per game, 41% from the three. 20K career points, made all-NBA team five years straight. Hall of Fame, of course, six-time NBA All-Star. 2002 NBA champ, five-time All-NBA, 1988-89 All-Rookie team, 1994-95 All-Star MVP, 1988-89 Rookie of the Year, and he not in the top 75. This is crazy. Come
2: on, man. West Coast Jordan, man, that's a piece for itself. When you get that title, you know you're getting buckets. He can go, before the, before the game starts, he can walk up to the scores table and say, put 25 on there.
1: And,
2: <laughs> and that, I'm just telling you, he could go to the score team and like, put 25. He's going to get that no matter what you do. Fundamentals, triple threat, just played out of triple threat a lot, could shoot it, you know. could post you, just a smooth man, but he was going to get his buckets. Mm-hmm. You wasn't stopping him from getting 20, 25.
1: And he played defense. I remember Michael Jordan yeah, he saying was he was one of the tougher guys to, that, 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 that guarded him. Uh, You know, Mitch used to lock up. I remember, you know, obviously being from SAC, watching him coming up, Mm -hmm. just what he would do on both ends of the ball, man, with not much help.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, and get it done nightly.
1: Yeah. Next up, someone I really look up to, obviously didn't have huge numbers, but still did put up nice numbers throughout his career, but one of the only players in the modern era was 7 NBA championships, uh, Robert Ory, you know, stretch four, three-man in Houston, uh, hit big shots, but seven-time NBA champ, all-rookie,
2: 92-93. I call him, mister, you got to have him. You got to have him on your team. Mm-hmm. That's what I call him, man. He just, I don't give a damn. Like This dude made so many big shots. He just had an IQ that was out of this world. He knew who he was. He didn't never try to be anybody else outside of who he was. Tough defender, uh, took on a lot. Uh, guarding the other team's best players, and, man, spread their floor. Mike, go down in history, as one of the top guys, top two or three guys that ever spaced their floor. You couldn't leave them, especially when the game was on the line.
1: At right, 6'10". Bob. Yeah, right. Think about 6-10. that.
2: At 6'10", perfect teammate from the point of view of he would get on the star player's ass. He wasn't scared to speak up. He was a pure winner. He was a total team guy, and he just, the IQ understood. He just helped everybody else on the floor while he was out there. You can just tell you he was just a floor general from that point of view. He never had to be the best player, but he was always one of the most important.
3: This next guy, man, was special not only for me, but for the world. He's from Texas. This three-year peak, 20 points per game, nine rebounds per game, four assists per game, was the number one pick in 1990. Big cultural influence with Grandma Ma, two-time All-Star, 91-92 All-Rookie, 91-92 Rookie of the Year, 92-93 All-NBA, Larry Johnson. Grandmama Grandma Ma. Yeah, did he influence little Penny at all? Hell yeah, because he did it before me. <laughs> you know that's how that's how Cold Dude was, man. If you weren't a fan of
2: Larry Johnson at UNLV, right. you just weren't a fan right. of basketball. Right. Dude, rip chisel, could stretch it out tooth. to three. The gold two with the part down the middle. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, tough,
3: great Mike teammate,
2: Tyson. skilled. He just man with his size, the way that he can move, his toughness, his willingness to just be a great teammate. It didn't, it didn't always have to be about him. He had to shed a spotlight with, you know, Alonzo and, and those guys, man. And just, to me, he was just a perfect teammate. Went to New York, did the same thing, stayed around a long time because of his professionalism. Just, but as a ball player, man, that dude was a stereotypical basketball player. Guy you want riding with you. You want in the foxhole with you. You know, he was ready at all times. LJ. His name is not mentioned
1: enough. Another guy out from my way, his three year peak 22 and 11, one of six players that ever averaged 20 and 10, three or more times, along with Matty Johnson, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Isaiah Thomas, and Oscar Robinson. Three time mm-hmm. All Star, five time All NBA, most improved 88 89 season, Kevin Johnson.
2: KJ had fear in people too. I talk about Tim Hardaway. But when you had to play Kevin Johnson, man, KJ wasn't a, he wasn't a trash talker, he just knew he was good. He just like worked on his game. He just the little he had a little skip cross or that little skip that he went into, unstoppable man. He could shoot the midi. He wasn't a big three point shooter, but he could make him, But man, he could finish. He could do everything. Man, that was one of my favorite favorite teammates. I got a chance to play with him one year, and man, he just taught me so much of being, about being a professional. Giving me books all the time, just to, you know to keep my knowledge strong. Obviously, becoming the mayor. True professional, was able to do his job and not have an ego on helping everybody else do theirs at a high level. Mm -hmm. Had fear in the league.
3: Next guy, I kind of was like a little bit for the way I played with passion. He had a three-year peak of 20 points per game, four assists per game, four rebounds per game, five seasons with 40-plus minutes per game. Only four players in the 90s made first-team All-NBA in their rookie and sophomore season. Sprewell, you, Tim Duncan... And David Robinson, full time All-Star, 1992-93 All-Rookie Team, 1993 All-Defense, 1993-94 All-NBA. Latrell Sprewell. was my
2: dog. Man, Sprewell's yes, just going to compete, man. He just kind of kept a chip on his shoulders because it felt like to him he wasn't getting his just due. So every night he went out, man, you was on the list. It was like Remy. <laughs> he was like Remy. Remy. He Remy. He had the list, dog. He had his hit that list. Had, he had the hit list. He's like, dude, if you're supposed to be better than me, I got you you supposed mm-hmm. to be better than me, I got you. On a nightly basis, he was showing the league, I'm that dude. I know everybody in my position is going to be ranked way ahead of me, but watch my numbers when I play them. Mm-hmm. That was free.
1: Took that shit personal.
2: He did. It was personal every single night. Yeah. He played with that passion uh, like Jack said, like Stack said. They, mm-hmm. they played with that passion like that chip. You could tell Stack played with that chip. He played with that chip mm-hmm. as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, Sean Kemp, three-year peak, 19, 11, two blocks and a steal and a half. 15,000 career points, six-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA. The rain, man.
2: Man, coming out of high school, athletic, freak. Uh, To me, went to the perfect franchise with Gary Payton. They both acted a fool together. (laughs) They were – Sean Kemp, man, he couldn't be stopped. They couldn't stop Sean Kemp, bro. He was a matchup problem for everybody because he was faster than a big. He was bigger than somebody smaller. He was athletic. He could finish – uh, he even stressed his jump shot out to about 17, 18. He didn't shoot threes or whatever, but he could block your shot and then finish the break with a dunk, mm-hmm. guard you 94 feet up the floor. He was as fast as a guard, and he could jump higher than you. He was, He's a freak mm-hmm. of nature.
3: Mm-hmm. He's a freak. Bad.
2: He was kind of like a LeBron without the handles, man, because he was a matchup problem. He was fast. He can get up and down that floor. He could take off. You know, he didn't have the playmaking ability to had the ball handling, but as far as the freakish nature of their size like, and how fast they were and how they could dominate the game just from going coast to coast.
3: Problem, yeah, yeah, Problem, yeah, that, problem, child. Like Greek freak.
2: And GP used to put that octane in him.
3: No, no question. The
2: whole game. That's all he needed. G P to talk talk crazy and get him locked in.
3: Yeah, G P can do that. <laughs> next next guy, three year peak. 26 points per game, six rebounds, four assists, just under 18k, career points, five straight seasons with 25 points per game from 89 to, to 93. Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star, four-time All NBA. One of my homeboys, he was with the Warriors when we was there, Chris Mullin.
2: Oh, Mully, come on man. Mully was not athletic. Uh, could handle it good enough to get space. All he needed was space. And your ass was he was he was like my boy said, he was shooting your face off. He was so smooth, man just I just remember watching Mully at St. John's Just battle against everybody And he wasn't no punk, he was tough So to be able to come out on a nightly basis in that era To play against all those athletes and all that toughness And still be able to get yours at a high level And you weren't going to beat anybody off speed You weren't going to beat anybody off athleticism You just had to get the space Man, Mully was nasty, man Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Very nasty Mm -hmm. Lefty, lucky lefty uh Next up, I'm not sure if you got a chance to play against him. Uh Reggie Lewis, three-year peak, 20 points, five rebounds a game, averaged 28 points a game in the 92 playoffs. We had Muggsy on the show a few weeks ago. He said he used to really give MJ problems. Unfortunately, passed away mm-hmm. in 93. Uh One-time all-star under his belt. Tell us what you know about Reggie Lewis.
2: I didn't play against Reggie, but I know a lot about Reggie. You know, I followed him from the Baltimore days in high school into college, and into the NBA and was just freakish, man. Like, he was a defender. He was long. He could score it on three levels. He could push it. He could post you. He could get around you. He went to a great franchise, obviously, with the Celtics that allowed him to showcase his game with some other great players, but it was nasty, man. He was another guy that
1: gave the league problems. Can you compare him to anybody, Penny, off the top of your head?
2: Who could I compare Reggie to? Because he was kind of his own style player, but mm-hmm. – I think he just had a style of his own. I can't think of anybody that was was like Reggie. I'm sure I could if I just got off this call and was like, okay, I could have compared right. it to this person or that person. But he was Which long. Did it on both he was fast. Ends. He was athletic. He did mm-hmm. it on both ends. Two-way play.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Love it. Next up, three-year peak, 18 points per game, seven rebounds per game, four assists per game, 15K career points, two-time six-man of the year, one of the best six-man ever, three-time All-Star, 1994 All-NBA, Deadlift Shrimp.
2: Yeah, that was a problem, man. He just knew how to play. His IQ took him over the hump. Wasn't crazy athletic, wasn't fast. Basically, it was the Charles Barkley before Charles. He walking you down. He getting mm-hmm. you down to that, but he making plays out of the post. You know, He was a guy that he could score it or he could make plays out of the post. High IQ, knew the game defensively, just was tough enough not to let you beat him up. You know what I mean? Just He was just smart, man. Just He was one of those problems. When he came on the court, your, your his plus minuses, he was always going to be on the plus side because he knew how to move the ball. He knew how to get to his his areas to get a shot, and he was just—he a a good teammate, man. He was just one of those guys that was a problem for the other team. It was hard to get ready to play against him because he's 6'11", 6'10, 6'11", and you had to put a big on him, and he was like a guard skill.
1: Mm -hmm. Dead left. Uh, Next up, Steve Smith, three-year peak, 19-4-4. Had great runs, obviously, with the Hawks, Miami, and Portland. One-time All-Star, 2003 NBA champ. 91-92, 91-92, all-rookie team. You ever get hit with the Schmitty?
2: I, didn't, I knew the Schmitty was coming because he was one of my favorite players, so I didn't get hit with that. I knew when he was about to do it. So when he got sideways, I just right. bagged up and said, you're
1: going to have to take that because I did get hit me with that. Right.
2: But Schmitty, one of my all-time favorite players, man. When he was at Michigan State, humongous fan of Schmitty. So when he went into the league, watched him get drafted by Miami, he got hurt early, which, man, just really made me sad. But, dude, I got a chance to, he was in Miami when I went to Orlando. Just nasty man, just very tough, get to his spots, post you up, was smooth, wasn't crazy athletic, but could fool you every now and then with some mm-hmm. athleticism, uh, smart enough on defense to uh, not let you you know, beat him out the first dribble or second dribble, and just kind of man, just was my type of dude, man, just was a winner. He was tough, he could shoot, midi, post up, he was one of the best post up guards in the league.
3: Mm. Ever. Ever, by far. I always say that. That's who, that's who taught me in 2003. Um, he was like, you can shoot threes. You, you get your post game. You're going to last a long time in this league. And his post game was unbelievable, bro.
2: Crazy. Real crafty. knew how to just use momentum.
3: Get to that rack. Next guy, three-year peak. 17 points per game, five rebounds per game, four assists per game. He played a huge role in the Suns' trip to the 1993 Finals. Averaged 15, 6, and 4 and played 45 minutes per game in the 19 three playoffs. Three-time All-Star, two-time All-Defensive team. Dan Marley. He was tough.
2: Thunder Dan was tough, bro. He had to take on the assignment of guarding all the other team's best players. Mm-hmm. And you already know when you're in the league, he was athletic enough. For him. When Dan first came in the league, he was Thunder Dan. He was getting up, donking everybody. He donking everything. Mm-hmm. The thing that I respect about him is that when his athleticism left, he still figured out a way to still guard the other team's best players. He wasn't jumping as high. He was just tough enough to just fight you, contest every shot, uh, and would knock down big threes on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. He was definitely somebody that I enjoyed watching, man, because he was gonna, you didn't have to worry about him and competing. He was going to compete every single night.
1: Man, next up, one of my favorite players, someone who did so much for the game, revolutionized the point guard position, three-year peak, 21, seven assists, four rebounds, four-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, 93, 94, all-rookie team, none other than yourself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, he was all right, man. You know, some nights, no. But uh um, no, but,
1: but just talk to us about like I said you came in and really changed the point guard position. You know what I mean? Obviously Magic came before you, but you came with that size, that athleticism, mid-range, three-pointer, post, get to the basket. Um like you said your 7-year run, you could put that up against anybody's uh to ever play this game, but how how much fun were you having in in revolutionizing the game at the same time?
2: Yeah, first of all, you know, I got to give a lot of that credit to Magic cuz Magic was my guy. Even though I was more athletic than him. I grew up watching that, that style, that Showtime style, so that's what I took into the league. Everything that I watched him do, everything that I learned about the game, about giving up assists. I wasn't really a, a hardcore scorer. I wasn't going to go at your throat because I had Shaq, I had other guys around me. I was more the guy like Bron. I was going to make everybody better. I didn't have the Kobe mentality to come in and be like, I'm just going to try to go for 50. I felt like I was going to get 20 falling off a log just from just my talent and just <laughs> God-given right. ability. But I knew I had to make everybody else better. So coming in, man, I was, I was trying to take that Laker style into Orlando. Showtime, make Dennis Scott better, make Nick Anderson better, make Horace Grant better, make Shaq better, but still be able to take over the games whenever I needed to. And it was fun, man, because I felt like I had one of the best teams that never won a ring. And it's sad to say because I was part of that uh, unbelievable group of guys that we never got over the hump. But I had a ton of fun, man, playing with those guys.
3: Hey, I, I, got, a, I got a quick question. You uh, so recently, probably the last couple months, it's been a move that you made in the game. Oh, yeah. That's all. That's all over social media. Let me ask you this question: Was it a move you worked on, or that just, or that just happened out of instinct? And I'm talking about the spin step back three. Mm-hmm. It's all over social media.
2: It was instinct. You got to understand. Instinct. Like I
3: never, I never worked on that move, and I never did that move again. I, I can't
2: even I remember. I said that. I ever said that move Penny. Ever again.
1: It was one of one, <laughs> one of one. And the
2: only reason why I did it is because. The Miami Heat were an unbelievable defensive team. And Keith Askins was one of the better defenders in the NBA. And I knew Keith Askins was going to go for it. If you raise your eyebrows, he was going to raise up. He was, like, intense, bro. He was intense. So I knew if I hit him with a half spin, he was going to go for the spin. And I had already kind of knew I was going to do the step back. But that move was one of one, never done, ever again in my career. It was just instinctual to to get him off me, to separate from it, and then shoot it. So that, that was so just fun. instinct to play.
3: That goes one to show you before your time, dog. You know what I'm saying? They they kid, kids are actually trying to add these moves in their game now, like actually doing them in games you used before your time, bro. 30 years yeah, no, later. Yeah, I appreciate
2: it. That's crazy though. I'm seeing that.
1: One of one. Man, before I saw we did that. Yeah, I was one just the other last day. Last game. Yep. Yeah. Hit the spin <laughs> step back and then try. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Man, before we get out of here, we want to talk a little bit about 90s kicks. Uh Obviously, your shoes were iconic. Some of the shoes you wore iconic. What was the basketball sneaker game like back in the 90s?
2: The sneaker game was strong, man, because, you know, that's when Nike was just pouring out everything. There wasn't a limit on any money. There wasn't any kind of pandemic. There wasn't any kind of shortage. It was like shoes everywhere, bro. So, for me, the sneaker game was at the high – it's high now, but – it's because of retro sneakers, but my sneakers, the Jays, mm-hmm. um, I mean, even like Spreewell brought his shoes out with the spinners. Shaq had his mm-hmm. shoe. Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing had his shoe. David Robinson had a shoe. Chris Webber had a shoe. It was like everybody back then had sneakers, man, and it was crazy. Charles Barkley, Scottie Pippen mm-hmm. came along later. So I think that the sneaker game was very strong back in the 90s.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: What is it like when you see your shoes getting re-released nearly 30 years after you brought them to the world and, and still people go crazy over them?
2: It's kind of weird, man, to be honest with you, but it's a blessing because we're all sneakerheads. I know I'm a sneakerhead. You just wanted to wear sneakers and then to have your own with your own logo is is a crazy moment, man. I'm thankful for you know, the man up above to be able to bless me with that and just to see them being re-released and then still selling out. And I haven't played ball in a long time. And to have that respect from the sneaker world is, is, mm-hmm. is unbelievable.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: What's the backstory behind the phone posits? Were they originally designed for somebody else? I, You know,
2: they talked about that they originally asked Scottie Pippen if he wanted the, the phone posit. I never heard that story from the people that brought it to me. But yeah. I do know that they had a phone posit one, and then they had the phone posit, The one with the, the swish on the side that Tim Duncan was wearing for a while, but... The original foam, to me, was brought to me to wear in the game. Mm-hmm. If it was Scotties before, I never heard of I never heard of that. But mm-hmm. they brought that idea to me, and I loved the foam immediately because I knew it was something that was different. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it that was, was gonna was so be relevant clean. now, sure. but I wanted it, man, because I knew it was different from what anybody else had had.
1: Them blue look like the uh, the nerf. Remember the nerf turbo footballs? That's that, that yeah, really just remind me, yeah. I could never afford them, but they look good on y'all boys. <laughs> them, blue ones, them, them blue ones was fire. cold to this day. That's what I'm saying. The shit's cold to this day. Um, outside of your own line, give us your f- top five hoop shoes from the 90s.
2: Oh, wow. Um, I would say. One of the lines definitely was, you know, the Jays, mm-hmm. the, the Jordans for sure. Um, what else was was the top five? Because I'm in the Nike family. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't really rock with anything outside of the Nike family, mm-hmm. so
1: mm-hmm. they got the best shoes anyway. So you good?
2: <laughs> it, it was it was just basically just my my line, J, uh, J, um, MJ's line. Uh, I, was I like big,
1: Bar- I liked Barclays. Did the Barclays you, I, line I really, was good. Yeah, the, the, Bar- force, yeah. the Force, the Force, yeah. Force was
2: good. Uh GP when he brought out the glove. The gloves, that, that, glove yeah. that, that glove was tough. I kind of mm-hmm. like wearing the gloves. Um yeah. and um I was more of a force one guy. So any of the dunks.
4: Mm. The force
2: one and the dunks, man, were
3: were nice too. And and they and they still relevant. Yeah. The Lil Penny advertising with Chris Rock. What's the story behind that? And was what's your favorite? There's two questions. And what's your favorite Lil Penny ad?
2: So what happened with the the Chris Rock situation, Chris Rock was like one of the last comedians, not because he wasn't worthy. It's because they went after Damon Wayans. They went after Martin Lawrence, you know, because these guys were heavy hitters at that time. Chris Rock wasn't really Chris Rock at the time that the sneaker came out and Little Penny came out. So Chris Rock was like, yeah, I'll do it. But it was more like they asked Damon Wayans, they asked Martin Lawrence and those guys, and they declined. Like, I don't know how big that would be. And Chris Rock took on the, the role and we were never there together. He did the voiceover. And obviously it hit big. Chris Rock was definitely a, a funny comedian, but when the little penny ads happened, you know, it definitely made both of us mm-hmm. more popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite little penny ad is probably um probably when we were in the uh the Memphis Pros uniforms and we were doing the uh I saved little Penny from the burning building. We were in the Memphis Pros uniform. and He was yeah. out on the court playing ball with me, yep. and he was like, uh, "The Secret Service couldn't guard me, all of that stuff." Yeah, that that commercial was was pretty dope.
1: You know, and obviously, with all due respect to the other comedians that that passed on it, I don't think they could have gave little Penny the just he needed because it was his voice right. that made him dope. Yes. Chris t- or, yes. uh, Chris Rock's voice and what made little Penny's voice is what made little Penny so dope to me.
2: Absolutely, Chris Rock took that that little Penny to the highest level that it could have gone to. Because yeah. obviously we love Martin, we love Damon Wayans, but right. his voice did make Little Penny because his of voice, being a yeah. puppy.
1: Shout out Chris Rock. What would you yeah, think that, what would you think if someone brought, one of these young stars brought their version of Little Penny out, like a John Moran or something like that? What, what would you think if, you know, they kind of reinvent Little Penny and made him like Little, Little Moran or whatever they want to call it. What would you think of that?
2: I think that'd be tough because, you know, Ja. For me, I was quiet, almost like a silent assassin, and little penny was my my mouthpiece. Ego, you know, he, was, yeah. he was the alter ego. He was the guy that was gonna yeah. talk shit for me. And all right, my yeah. man gonna get y'all. I'm gonna do all the talking, but my man gonna get y'all, right? <laughs> right. And uh but Ja, Ja is that guy that's gonna talk shit. So maybe an alter ego might be the, the laid back, the one that needs to go to the, you know, go to the um the interviews and be like, and to answer everything on the political side, John's going to be like, no, nah, I ain't say that shit. he be like, oh, I got it. I got it, bro. I got us. Maybe that'll, because all yeah. going to tell you how he feel. Right. And maybe right. an
1: alter ego do the opposite of that and be like, yep.
2: everything political.
1: The cool, I think like that'd be that. dope. Yeah. And Nike's going to hear this, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, Penny, man, we appreciate your time helping us uh, talk through the 1990s. Uh, we wish you nothing but best of luck continuing over at Memphis. And look forward to catching up with you soon, man. Thanks for you.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. And what I, what I want to say to you and Stack, man, I appreciate you guys for standing up for the culture. Y'all do it big, man. It, it, it takes big balls to do that because, you know, everybody else is going to think what they want to think and not say. But I appreciate mm-hmm. what y'all do for the culture, bro. Seriously, both of y'all. Thank
1: that you, man.
3: We, we appreciate it. You, love bro. you, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. No doubt.
4: mypatriotsupply.com